Blog Talk Radio. up 
to Independence Day, which is truly a day to celebrate our life and that we are alive. Also celebrate the summer as there's some really fun things that happen in the summer. July is personally my favorite month. My birthday is coming up soon. And you've got the baseball all-star game, which is happening on this coming Tuesday. There have been some times when the all-star game actually happens on my birthday. It was in 2008 when they were playing at Yankee Stadium. You know, my Yankees, I love the Yankees. And they played the all-star game on my birthday. Well, this it's two holidays this next week. The all-star game is not on my birthday, but my birthday, as always, is on my birthday. So what does this have to do with parents, kids, music? Well, this is a show where we discuss the relationships that people have had with their families, past and present, when it comes to music. Because I personally, I do not have children, at least at this point, but I am lucky enough to have family that raised me. My father is 70 years old, and I'm very happy to have him in my life. My mother left us a lot sooner than that. But the lessons I've learned and the music that I've listened to in the house, on the car, they've all been a very special thing. And it looks like Gail is joining us. Hello, Gail. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Excellent. Welcome, and thank you for joining me today on our special 40th episode of Parents Kids Music. I mean, talk about a milestone. Yeah. Can you believe we've been on 40 weeks? <laughs> That's amazing. It's 40 weeks. I mean, we haven't done it every week, but it's been on a very consistent basis. I mean, next month will be the one-year anniversary of the first show. Like, we've... Wow. Like, like to think that, like, this thing has just gone on, and we've had spoken to many amazing guests who we've been able to share their music experiences with. Yeah, so, Gail, before we bring on the first guest, I'd like to know, like, what what memories do you have as like as a child and as an adult with your family on the 4th of July? Um, you know, I think what I remember the most... Now, are you talking about music that we listen to? I mean, it could be music. It could not be music, but I know that I was just sharing about experiences that have something to do with music and also just things with my family, like going to Rye Playland to see the fireworks or watching or watching the or the centennial of the Statue of Liberty in 1986 and just hearing, like, in all the commercials and everything that they get the like imagined by John Lennon and taking years to piece that together. Like, what is it that you remember the most about the 4th of July when it comes to your family? You know, I remember actually going out to, um, it's, it's so funny. I remember actually going out and having just a ball at the at Rye Playland as well. And I remember I used to listen to just corny music in the car. Like my mom would have on Frank Sinatra, you know, and like that was so old. It was like, it was it was even too old for her. And I couldn't understand why she would play that music every time we went to, a July 4th cookout, because it definitely was not 
something I wanted to hear. <laughs> but she would play Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr. And like I said, that music was even too old for her, and I didn't understand it. Um, wow. And so it's like Frank Sinatra, whether it was something you liked or not, somehow was connected with those car trips. It was a lot of fun. But what my brother and I would do is we'd make sure that when we were with our cousins that we would actually have a separate radio with us so we didn't have to hear the grown-ups play that, <laughs> that stuff. We would, have to, we would listen to rock or we would listen to, you know, um, R&B or we'd listen to something else, but definitely not like that old music. And we would ask, we'd actually ask my mom, why do you listen to that? Because it's like you weren't even around during him. And she's just like, well, your grandmother kind of used to do this on trips too. I so I thought I'd get a, a family thing. And we're like, you don't have to pass that down from generation to generation. <laughs> you know, not everything is meant to be a tradition. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely true, Ian. Absolutely. All right. Are you, are we ready to bring Dad on? All right. Coming yes, to us are. from. Excellent. Coming to us from Atlanta, Georgia. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Fontaine. Dad, how are you? Hey, Ian. Good. How are you? Excellent. Dan, meet Gal. Gal, meet Dan. Hi, Dan. Yeah. How are you? Good. How are you? Okay. I, I hear you're a comedian. Right? Is that right? It's Gail. Yeah. Her name is Gail. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Gail, Dan, we hear you're a comedian. Well, are you going to, are you going to like, you know, give us a joke so we can start off just having a lot of fun and laughing? Um, I can, I can tell you a funny story that's related to music it, and to be, you know, to be totally honest, I, I, I used to be a comedian. I haven't done comedy in quite a few months now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely give you, um, some entertainment for the next minute or two on this story. Excellent. Oh, definitely. Anything around, uh, parents and music and kids and all that, we, our audience and us, we're all for it. Yep. Okay, great. So yeah, I actually, um... I actually grew up in Alabama and um like really like southeast Alabama. So I, I I never really had much of a southern accent and people always point that out when they meet me and they ask why. And so this is basically the story that I tell them. And um it starts when I was like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, you know, the socially formative years of a child's life. I was um I was a huge fan of the biggest bands on the planet at the time and that was New Kids on the Block. And so the new kids were all from Boston, and I was such a huge fan that I had all the tapes and all these interviews, and I would watch and, and like, learn the dance moves and, and things that are just so ridiculous to say in front of people that I don't know that I'm quite embarrassed. So um, I watched these interviews so much that as a kid in South Alabama, I actually picked up a bit of a Boston accent. Boston. And yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. So after being ruthlessly tormented for a little while, and uh, just basically growing out of you know the new kids fandom, <laughs> um, my my accent kind of morphed into a mix of of uh, you know Boston in the garden and uh, and uh, <laughs> southern twang. So that's that's where I am at this moment. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
we've got these two different extremes, not necessarily the neutral television anchor voice, but you've got South and you've got Boston because of just just being just being indoctrinated and just like with with that culture and just with that fandom at that time. Yep, exactly, exactly. Very cool. So, so tell us also tell us about your musical background as a kid. Like, like what did your parents listen to, and and were they very much embracive of you look choosing your own music, or did they try want to just really make their music into yours? Sure. Um, well, my parents were both very musical people. Um, my dad was in a bluegrass band for about twenty five years um, while I was growing up. So that had a huge impact on the things that I listen to now. Um, in in a similar way, I mean, you know, a lot of kids grow up and their their parents listen to something like bluegrass, and you would just kind of veer away from that. But I have a real affinity now as an adult for music that is kind of organic and doesn't involve a lot of uh, synth- synthesizers and electric components. I, I really enjoy um, Nickel Creek, um, Chris Feely kind of uh, groups. I also enjoy. Um, some of the newer stuff like Bon Iver and, and Mumford and & Sons, just kind of folky, acoustic type of uh, music. Um, and my mother uh, taught piano as a child, and she kind of had a very eclectic taste. Um, and I remember specifically being around both of my parents and, and some other uh, family members and friends of theirs and listening to a lot of 50s and 60s. I think the, the radio show was called... Um, uh, the Moldy Oldies or something like that. Hubcap Classics, maybe that was it, something like that. So I'm a big fan of, of, of old school music too. Excellent. And, and, and where, did, where did the whole New Kids thing come? I, I remember being in fifth grade. I remember New Kids on the Block being a big thing. And I also remember yeah. all the girls, I always said all the girls like New Kids on the Block instead of me. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably where the initial uh, attraction came from was to get the attention of a girl. Um, I can I can definitely remember a girl that I was, had a, had the hots for in the fifth and sixth grade, and she was a big fan. And then I started <laughs> listening to, and it just kind of went from there. Wow, I I, yeah. I can certainly see that because I know that there's always just so much about love and just attraction, just like. Just in like you just hear all these crazy stories of like the rock right. stars and what goes backstage to concerts and and just to think where it goes. So right. Yeah. So so nowadays it's more about it's like what is your experience like? Have you gone to concerts and has that ever been your scene or not? Going to concerts is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, um, I, I I do like going to concerts a lot. I, I prefer smaller, more intimate shows than, you know, big uh, Bonnaroo-type weekend adventures. But, um, yeah, I think I think live music is really the barometer that I measure a musician uh, most, is, you know, how they perform live. Um, really? That, that's, kind of, that's kind of the art of it, in, in my opinion, of a, of, a, of a performer, of someone who performs music. I think the art of it is the performance. I mean, you know, creating an album and, and making it sound good is also an art in its in its own right. But as far as music is concerned, I, I would definitely judge an artist by their live show. 
Wow. That's, That's interesting. And, and what was your first concert? My first concert, I think, was a Reba McIntyre show. I'm almost positive. And, and where was that? That was was that down south? Yeah, that was um, at I think a, it's called the Ozark Civic Center. It's just kind of a, a, a smaller town civic center. Probably holds, I would guess, less than ten thousand people. But but I remember her being amazing, and um, you know, her success has kept in that. Well, well, and about how old were you, you think, at that point? You know, I was probably around 10, maybe maybe wow. a little younger. Very cool. Yeah. So, so I know you were mentioning some of the stuff that you were into. Like, did you, ever, did you ever play music at all, like, whether it was in school or out of school? Like, did you ever, like, um, did, you, did you ever pick up an instrument? or whether it was a short or a long time. Yeah, I did. Um, I played guitar for quite a few years now. I guess since I started college, I started playing guitar. And when I first started doing comedy, um, I, uh, I, I was a stand-up primarily and wanted to go on the road as fast as possible. So you need, you know, somewhere around 30 minutes of, of solid material to be a, be a feature act uh, in clubs and and bars and stuff. So um, I had about 15 good minutes of stand-up, and so I just wrote probably six or eight parody songs on the on the guitar, and um, just kind of took those with my uh, with my stand-up and kind of mixed it in and uh, started going out on the road and and being a professional comic. So you professional comic slash just rock star or performer like. What were your influences in terms of parody? Was it Weird Al? Were there other influences in terms of just making parody songs? Um, you know, yeah, I think I think those 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 big names like Weird Al and uh, gee, there's the guy that I can't think of right now who was on Broadway a couple years ago. His name's Stephen something. I can't. I'm kind of embarrassed. I can't remember it. But he also plays guitar. I don't think he does parody songs, but he writes his own. Um, comedy songs. Both of those guys, you know, kind of are people that you turn to and and, and kind of see what they were doing to have success with with songs. And it's it's a fun thing to do. Um, just you know, parody songs in general. Just just hearing a song and, and hearing maybe a phrase that you can turn into a joke, and from that joke you can create an entire song around it. It's pretty. It's it's a pretty fun process. I I kind of found it to be a little lowbrow, which um, now, you know, eight years later, I kind of regret because I did have a lot of fun doing it. And musical comedy is so successful now, especially online and with the guys from Saturday Night Live that um, I kind of wish I had stuck with it, but I didn't. <laughs> but, but, it, but it is. You, so, so what are you doing now these days in Atlanta? Um, and how I does, am, like, music, like, have the have fluence on it? Sure. Um, I I actually freelance in video production. So I, I shoot and, and edit videos for websites and sports teams and pretty much whoever needs one. I just got back from um, a month-long trip with the U.S. soccer team. I was traveling with them during the Gold Cup, and I got to shoot and edit a lot of their um, practices and behind-the-scenes things. 
Excellent. And I'm, I guess it's a little off topic in terms of the music, but like, sure. like, like working in video and sports, what do you think of like the influence of ESPN right now, just like on just sports and just like the moving to the digital, like the fact that ESPN now is like, has the sole rights to the BCS and now they've just taken all of Wimbledon as they just announced amongst other things. Um, I feel like that, you know, I think it's good for sports fans just to be able to have access to all of that, you know, sport, I guess. But it's it's very strange the way that, that ESPN has kind of progressed in their presentation. You know, it was very, and it, you know, I mean, it's it's an it's an obvious it's an obvious evolution, I think. But going from very like, you know, just point blank. These are the highlights. This is what happened. To now, it's kind of like catchphrases and all sorts of motion graphics and anything to catch your eye and uh, and get you to click on on our on our stuff online. They they kind of do whatever it takes to get your attention and I guess you know sell those sell those ads. Yes, just a lot of dominance. So. So, so these days, like, um, do you do anything in terms of music with your work, whether it's laying down audio to it or working with, like, any musicians or at all? Um, yeah, I think that a big part of video um, is what you hear while you're watching it. And in a lot of the things I do, um, the music accompanying the visual is very important. And I think, you know, each – each thing that a videographer films is going to have a rhythm to it, no matter if you're cutting to a rhythm or if it's just the rhythm of someone running or the rhythm of someone, you know, talking, that that you can match up those emotions and that that beat to, you know, what is essentially a backtrack. And so, you know, if you have someone sliding their fingers down the keyboard, you might have someone sliding down a, a, a water slide or a or stair railing, you know what I mean? So there's always a way to incorporate music into what you're seeing, and it'll, you know, kind of have a positive effect on, on both sides. It'll make the music seem more alive if uh, if you can see an, an action with it, and it will make the, the action also more alive if, if you have some, some music backing it. You know, I have a Holy question God. for you. About, um, you know, I would sure. really, I'd love to know, in terms of music these days, what do you? I mean, what do you consider a great artist today, versus like the kind of artist that you used to listen to growing up? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a much wider appreciation of what I consider a great artist. I think today, just from from kind of attempting to be an artist myself, I can see you know a lot of what people are trying to do and appreciate that, like, even if I don't listen to it very much. Like, I don't own a Lady Gaga album, but I really like what she does, and every time I hear one of her songs, it's always catchy, and I end up singing it in my head for three days. So I, I really like and respect Lady Gaga, even though I don't support her financially. Um, but then, you know, just just kind of like I was saying earlier, I, I really like, you know, folk type of music and uh, going out to shows like that. Um, and... I don't know. That's 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 kind of it for me as of current music. I'm I'm not really a big fan of new hip hop. I really enjoyed 
uh, hip hop in like kind of the mid to late nineties, uh Notorious Big, Tupac, people like that. But wow. you know, it died. So that ended. Oh wow. So you, you liked the yeah. notorious VIG and also uh Tupac. Yeah, I did. Wow, did your friends like it a lot too? Did you, was it just like you listening to it or was it like a group of your friends and you listening to it and really getting into it? Yeah, it was definitely a group of friends and like there was a there was a Tupac group and a Biggie group and uh, you know, it was it was all <laughs> fun and games until somebody lost their life. And so we just kind of decided they were both good. Oh, that's so funny. cool. That is that's really cool. Yeah, really, really that's cool. That's if they actually are dead, of course. You know, but you know, I, so you don't find any like artists today, like the Justin Bieber's or mm-hmm. the um, Lady Gaga or mm-hmm. you know any of those artists. What do you think of them? Um, you know, it, it's it's uh. With my background liking new kids, it's hard for me to diss Justin Bieber. I mean, I, I, again, I don't really listen to Justin Bieber. I probably couldn't name a, of his, but you got to respect what the guy's doing. If he's, you know, started on YouTube and he's such a huge success now, it's. I mean, there's something in there that everyone can respect, and I think, you know, you got to look past what image people are putting and, and find something good in, in in artists like that. You know, I agree. Um, just, just amazing um, how. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say it's interesting how you know the direction that whether it's comedy today or anything mm-hmm. of you know like that. It's interesting to see how you know like when you do a show, either way, like your shows can be recorded and put online, downloaded, and you know put all over the web. I want to ask you something: mm-hmm. whether it's a comedy show you're doing or music. Do you think it should be online, free consumption, or let's say, for instance, a comedian, like you might do six skits, but maybe mm-hmm. two skits you'll, you'll let people see free and the other that they would pay for. Or mm-hmm. the same with music. Do you think there should be like if there's an album, one song that's free, and if you want the whole album, you have to pay for it? Um, You know, I think it should be up to the artist. I know that that's probably an impossibility as far as this concerns go, but I mean, you know, there are some independent artists who don't care and they put their albums online for free and there are some who, who just like you said, put a couple of tracks to kind of get get people interested and maybe buy a concert ticket or buy the full album. So I wish it was up to the artists, but I know artists have labels and labels have have uh, have bills to pay and, and business to make, so it's not always um, up to the artist. But um, I can definitely see both sides. I can see why people download free music because it's free and it's great and it, you know why wouldn't you you know if if you're able to do it and not get caught and um I can see why why artists and labels get really pissed and sue people when they do it okay I can see and the only last thing I heard I heard you sharing about when you were growing up and everything I want to know if there was a song like like a, a favorite um joke that you had and like maybe you you were playing a, a, your first song and you kissed your first girl and then something uh-huh. funny just happened after that um um nothing really that when i was a kid nothing really happened it's it's funny i was uh, as an as an older guy as an 
adult, I guess. I was um, I was at a bar with a girl that I was dating, and it was around Christmas time. This is years ago. And um, back to the new kids, uh, they had a Christmas album, and one of their raps was called Funky Funky Christmas. It was a new kid's Christmas rap. It was pretty dope. And um, it just it just randomly came on in this bar, and for some reason, and I wasn't drinking heavily at this moment, and for some reason I thought it would be a good idea to try and impress this girl by uh, doing part of this rap just, you know, for no reason. And how did it come out? Um, well, I haven't talked to her in about two, three, four years, something like that. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Didn't turn out too well. <laughs> okay. Well, it sounds like it sounds like well, at least you gave it your best try, right? Oh yeah, I did. I mean, I nailed every word in that rap. She just was not having it. <laughs> so, well, let me ask you this now: like, you know, with what you say that you do now? I mean, if you have the best of both worlds—music, comedy, everything—and you uh, have all the money in the world right now, okay, and yep. you could just hang out and do whatever you want to do, what would you be doing? Wow. That's an interesting question. Um, it sounds like you love music I, too. Yeah, I do. I mean, I would, I would definitely want to do some sort of um, musical comedy things, kind of like the the digital shorts on SNL. Although it kind of seems like it's done, and everybody's trying to do that, it still seems fun. And you know, if I didn't have to worry about money to make, I would probably just do it for fun. But then um, I would also uh, try to make some films and documentaries. I think that's really um, something that I want to do, not just kind of video production for promotion and things, but I really like narrative narratives, uh, filmmaking. Can you share with us, you know, like what kind of narratives would you make? And, and you know, I'm curious about something. Would you, if you made these narratives, would you, would you hang with a lot of, you know, kids, stuff like that, and let them kind of hang with you and learn the ropes of what you've done? Would I let them hang with me? Yeah, you know, hang out with you and, you know, be a part of, you know, the filming or the music or the comedy, like, you know, like literally teach them or let them learn for you, from you. Is that something yeah. that you've ever thought about doing? Um, it's not really something that I've thought about with, with, uh, with, the video production aspect, but I would absolutely do it if, if someone expressed interest in, in what I was doing and wanted to observe or follow along or help out, then, you know, assuming they weren't, you know, causing too much of a ruckus, as they say, <laughs> I would I would absolutely do it. Okay. It, it was so cool listening to some of your stories, especially the one about the rap with the girl. That must have been really fun. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was funny at the time, but... It's a little depressing a couple weeks later, but thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> yep. So, you have any final thoughts about um, about really like music in terms of family and just sharing and like where music is going from from that level of just where it's going? <laughs> um, I. I think that, that music was a big part of my relationship with my parents growing up. And I feel like that it was almost had to be because what they were listening to, I was listening to, and vice versa even. You know, when I was in my room 
playing whatever I was playing, they were probably forced to listen to it down the hall. And I feel like hmm. if that's kind of being lost uh, the further in time we go, just because, you know, there's so many earbuds and headphones and and different ways to listen to music by yourself. You don't kind of have to make it a communal thing. And, you know, that's got both its good and bad points, but I just kind of wish that that uh, more families and, and more groups of friends would just kind of hang out and have, you know, their favorite band on in the background and or, you know, have more conversations about music, I guess, face-to-face. Excellent. Um, Dan, thank you so much. You've been a great guest today, and you definitely have learned a lot about about just music and just sharing and just remembering these old new kids on the block raps from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been it's been my pleasure, Ian. I, I know we haven't seen each other in a while, but it's definitely a pleasure. You were you were always a person who stood out in my memory. Um, after we've met, and Gail, it was a pleasure to meet you too. I hope we can uh, meet sometime soon. Oh, I definitely hope to look forward. It, it was it was a blast, and thank you for being sure. being on our show. It was really cool. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dan. You got it. Talk to All you guys. Right. And that was bad. Oh, how how great was that? That was really cool. Ian, you know, I've got to ask you about something. You know, we're always talking about music and stuff and everything. But, you know, I was just thinking about something. You know, I wonder what, you know, parents didn't let their kids too much of their teenagers jump onto Facebook or they monitor it. I wonder how that's going to work with Google Plus now. You know what? It's just like with everything else where... As you know, there have been millions of, I wouldn't say millions, but the fact is that like every single social network or video sharing site, there have been competitors. I mean, I mean, you remember, you were you on Friendster, Dale? Yes, I was. Yeah. See, I mean, there was Friendster. There was MySpace. There were so many other ones. I mean, Ning. So many things. I think the issue is it's what when something reaches critical mass and becomes that standard, that's when I think people are going to start to notice because it's, I, you know how I always find it to be weird on my own here that think that I didn't really have like true internet access until I was like maybe 19 or 20 to think that these kids as children, as young children, as they're still growing up and developing and, and still, still learning what is right, what is wrong. That they have this in front of them, and I don't think it's even so much about. I think it's more about the parents being able to just honestly be able to share with them, and not so much restrict them. Because I know that it's even. I know one one person who was actually a guest on this show a few months ago, her name's Christine. She was writing on her social media a while ago that it's not that it's not just having a having a for parents to be friends with their kids on Facebook because you don't know what they're restricting in that access and if they're not gonna be able to see much. 
So with Google+, which I am still looking forward to jumping onto, like I thought I had an invite to Google+, but I'm not actually sure if that's act- it was an actual invite or not now, that, what, that I like the idea that there could be a new standard or a legitimate competitor to Facebook. And what will, what will that do with, if it really becomes this big thing that all the kids are using? that I think parents are definitely going to take notice. Like, what are your opinions, Gail? You know, I'm, I'm really of the opinion. I just, you know, I, I don't, I think it's going to be hard. Like, it's either you have to trust your kids, you know, but I also think that we have to be careful that we don't want, like, a 7-year-old or an 8-year-old on because a lot of times they want to pretend like they're older. But if your kid is, like, 14 or 15, I think go ahead and trust them. Excellent. There was certainly a there's certainly a matter of trust, and as you know, it's like maturity doesn't necessarily go with the exact age. I mean, somebody who two people might be the same age, but one person might be able to accept it or not. I think it's really a level of judgment, and not necessarily like an arbitrary date. I know, like for example, with there's always been controversies, and there will probably the discussion will probably never end about what should the drinking age be, what age should it be for for people and children and teenagers to be allowed to get a driver's license. I think that I think it's very important for parents to really have a real relationship with their children and not just obviously tell them no when they need to hear no, but at the same time. But at the same time, really just be there for them, even if they're in a rebellious mode where they're like, I don't want my parents around, I'm super embarrassed. But to be there. You know, Gail, just talking about this makes me want to have kids. Because I'm, like, just, I'm just even, it's, it's weird. It's like I'm thinking out loud about myself being a parent one day and how I would take care of my kids and allow them. You know, wow. I'm, I, I've been very, very lucky in that I've helped to raise my nieces. And I think, you know, I want to be a parent one day too. And I know that if my, the way I would raise my daughter or son, you know, especially knowing that what we did growing up, I would give them their freedom because on one hand they need the discipline, but on another hand they need the freedom to, to find their own journey and also to know that we have to, I would trust that whatever my husband or I or, their grandfather or the grandmother or the grandfather and grandmother, whoever that would be and whoever those parties would be that would be like a village to raise them, they would have enough values and, in, in, you know, within them to know what's right and wrong. And sometimes you have to let kids go out of their comfort zone, even if they're doing something wrong, as long as it's not something detrimental, so that they can, you know, really learn and find out when the temperature is too hot or when the temperature is too cold. And if you let them go on and let's say Google Plus or Facebook and they sense a friend of theirs, something doesn't seem too right, then, you know, they would know, like just from the values that you raise them with. And most of the time if you ha- tell them to only accept friends that they know they, and they grow up with that, they'll, they'll listen to that. Wow. There's just, there's just a lot to just, share with them. 
You know, Ian, it's really easy for us because we don't have kids yet. I will tell you that my brother has three girls, and they're 11, 12, and 14 in Florida in a state that supposedly has the highest amount of molestation and pedophiles and so forth. And it's really hard, you know, because you don't know. Like, you want to give your kids the freedom to have stuff, you know. But, you know, they're also, you have to be careful with those things. But they have to have a vehicle that they can be with their friends on. Let's think about it. Look at texting. Like, you and I, we do video stuff now. We're on our smartphones. The kids are like, oh, forget the smartphones. We're just going to text each other to death. And you might have a bill that's like $2,000 at the end of the month if you don't have unlimited texting. Absolutely. Just the fact that even myself as an adult, it's like I see myself just texting a lot more than anything else. It's like in some ways I feel like it's like the evolution of the I am because I still remember like, getting onto AOL Instant Messenger and taking it, and, and I had to take forever, whether it was I was on a dial-up modem or even just logging into the IM application. With a phone, you're always on. And this is so true. And the thing is, like, with the kids, I mean, it's, it is a dangerous thing where I, you hear stories about bullying through texting because everyone has everyone's number. And the fact that everyone has an individual phone number and kids bring their phones to school and the texting, it's a low-tech thing. Like, you don't need a super-duper expensive, very cool phone, even though that is very cool. And trust me, I love my iPhone and I want to get the next iPhone. The fact is, you can just have a very simple phone and you can text. You know, this is true. Um You know, it just, I think that with kids, you know, like if we give them, you know, there's devices out there now that kids can actually, because kids want to just really text their music. They want to text their music, and there's devices out there where they can just text their music and text other stuff, and it doesn't have to necessarily be like a full-fledged phone. I mean, there's there's just so many ways to give the kids what they want. Because I know most kids, you know, the other thing is they're texting music, and I think the cloud, the, the new iCloud and the new cloud, um, different services coming out. It's going to be really cool for kids because if they want to share their music now, it's going to be much easier to share. Absolutely. Like, I know that, like, how, like, just before the show, like, I was talking to you about, like, like how Amazon is finally, because, you know, there's there's been the three major cloud music services that, have either started or have been announced this year. You have Google, you have Amazon, and you have Apple. And certainly, I think Amazon, I think they, with the, with their price point, I think they actually got it in a way that Apple and Google don't because what they now have is for $20 a year, you've got unlimited space for your music. And and you can upload it, and you can then re-download it. And if I was like, if I was like getting a new computer, or if my hard drive went completely blank, I know the music is still being backed up on Amazon servers. Because yes, Amazon started as a online bookstore, but they're really a server company. They own like thousands of servers, and that's where the money goes. 
And the idea that I can just pay just to keep my music, I mean, it's not physical anymore. I mean, being digital and just knowing it's not going to disappear, that that's that's something which I might be willing to pay $20 a year for. Okay. That, that, you know, that's and, interesting that you would say that. That's interesting that you would say that. Because it's like the whole you know, idea is, what is that? No, no, I'm just listening to what you're saying. Yeah, because it's like, I, even like back in 2001, 10 years ago, when Apple introduced the iPod, can you believe it's been 10 years, that, and iTunes, that they, like, the, the message was, it's your music. And you have that control and ownership over it. And the idea is that we had decades of the idea of these physical formats and that damage happens to them. A record breaks or scratches. Even CDs scratch. But the idea that you've got a permanent location that's not even physically in your house where your all your music is and that you're able to then download that music or upload it and just knowing you've got the space from a that's on some of the most secure servers in the world. You've got this is like this is a super multi 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 billion dollar company. I mean, all these companies that have been doing it that you have it there forever. Uploading and downloading. I mean, the thing, like I know I shared about Google Music, is it's free, but you can only upload, you can't download. And then with Apple is the fact that the big thing with Apple is it's right, at least right now, the issue, although that will probably change as people get newer computers over the years, is it's really only for brand new computers at the moment, or like the newest operating systems. Got it. You know, I'm good, you know, one of yeah. the things that's really good, great is, you know, all of these new technologies are coming out. Everyone's going, oh, every time something new comes out, we have to change it. Here's the cool thing about it. You get to now have a choice. You get yeah. to really now have a choice. And, like, one of the things I'm, I, you know, I started to get upset. I have an iPad, too, and you know how much I said, oh, Ian, I'm not really into my iPad too, yet I can't stop looking at it. Hmm. Okay, everybody, I finally became an Apple girl. I told Ian I would never become an Apple girl. And it's weird because now I hear at the end of July, and Ian, you know I hate to admit that you were right, but you were right. Your instincts were right on. They're coming out with the Apple three iPad at the end of this month. Have I heard... And I hear that the, I hear the rumors that the next iPad is going to have the Retina display, like the iPhone 4 does. So that's an exciting thing. But that's the same with technology. Things get new. But I'm also a fan of the low tech. I mean, the iPhone I have is three years old. I have there's a lot of things which I want to be able to. I mean, innovation should not just be limited to the brand, brand, brand new stuff. Like, I mean, the automobile industry really created it, like in the early, like in in the early days of the last cent of the 20th century, 
with planned obsolescence, where they plan, on, even though they have the ability to really make something that will never break, they purposely make things that will eventually break or become useless because there will be a software in the computer world. There will be a software update. There will be something they'll purposely not make for the computer. The idea that everything, every physical item one day will need to be replaced, therefore keeping the economy going. On an economic standpoint, that's brilliant. On the standpoint of the consumer and even on innovation, that isn't. <laughs> well, I just have been told the iPad release date has been announced. Really? So, yes. And, you know, so now it's still down to you don't know. <laughs> You don't know. It's, it's saying 60 days and it's saying 30 days. It's, it's really interesting. It's just really, really interesting. So we'll see. Because so we'll iPad or iPad 2 Plus. Or they yeah, also exactly. That- the iPad 2 Plus is what I'm hearing too. So who knows which is which? And also there's been just a lot of stuff about the new iPhone since Every year since the iPhone, the first iPhone came out in 2007, they released a new iPhone or announced a new iPhone in June of that year. This was the first June that came and went where no new iPhone was announced. There have been tons of rumors now, not only about the next iPhone, but the iPhone following it. I mean, is this going to be like Harry Potter where... The first two movies came out a year apart, but after the second movie, the movies started coming out a year and a half whooping each other. Is that what's going to happen? Yes, I was able to tie in the iPhone to a very popular movie series that's going to have its conclusion next week. Yes, wow. I did, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm looking forward to it no matter what. But what watching um, watching Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two on an iPad three? <laughs> um, here's something I you know here's something I just heard. So the, you're they're looking at the iPad two plus coming out by the end of this month, and then launching uh, the iPad three sometime in 2012. That make that actually does make a lot of sense, or just. That's just a constant bumping up. It's like it's a lot easier with the computers and with like PCs and with laptops where they can just keep it quietly every few months, like upgrade the specs, like making it faster and making it functionally it's basically the same system, but they just keep on adding more RAM, they keep on adding more hard drive, and they just keep on adding more speed. But it's done in such a discreet way with like a consumer product that is it like a PC, it's a big deal. It's like I just let's say I just bought a pair of glasses, and now there's a cool new pair of glasses coming out next week. It's not the same as this like electronic equipment which you're paying five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks for that all of a sudden is obsolete. Or not obsolete, but there's something better that's already out. Well, here's the other problem too. You know, we talk about the iPad three. Um, you know, the iPad 2, I was just reading that they said that the iPad 2 was rushed. 
So now we've got the iPad 2 Plus, okay? And the best thing, you know, the best thing to me is just to enjoy, if you, you know, I've got an iPad 2. I never had an iPad 1. And I think it's the best thing to do is just enjoy it. That's where I'm at. Yes. Like, as I, as I say, my three-year-old iPhone 3G still is very functional. There are things I can't do with it. There were things where basically I did a whole song and dance to upgrade my Mac to a bigger hard drive and new operating system just so I can put iOS 4 on my phone so I can get the Major League Baseball app. And then there are other things. I mean, going back to high-tech, low-tech. I'm going to get an iPad 3, though, if it comes out. I think you'll get your your iPhone 5. I'll get my iPad 3. But I still do want to get a PC as well. I think having the best of all worlds. That's why I said choice. And I think kids and parents are going to want that same thing. Because as technology moves forward, I think it's important that we have those choices. The only one thing I'll say, Ian, to you know, to um, to sign off here with you, is the only thing yeah. that I think that it's important that we still keep implementing with kids old music as well as new music, and I think we should still implement the older traditional education methods. You know, with the new with the new stuff, like they they want to stop cursive writing. If you just put a kid on a computer and they're huh? listening to their music on their iPad all the time. And or their iPod, or they're you know doing their stuff through the computer all the time. Then it's, it's it's something about being able to create with your hands and your body that we will be denying kids the fun of. So I think it's important that even parents like us, when we have our children, since we're young, that we make sure that we integrate both, so they always have fun. Yes, and and on that note. Of course, the biggest product of the day is, without a doubt, the PKM40. That's the 40th episode of Parents Kids Music. And can you believe we've actually hit the 40th episode? Woohoo! Yeah. 40 years of Parents Kids Music. Wow, I can't believe it's been four <laughs> full. Oh, wait, just four, just 40, just 40 episodes. But no, I wouldn't even say just. I mean. It's been big. I mean, we started last summer, and now it's summer again, and we're about to hit the one-year mark, and it's been definitely something big. So I'd like to announce that next week's show will be the same time. That is is 3 p.m. on the East Coast. That's 12 noon out west, and hopefully we will be able to get in touch with and contact a certain Mr. Jay Logan, as he was definitely missed today on this special episode. So, Gail, thank you very much for joining us today. No problem. Anytime, Ian. Excellent. And and we'll, we'll hear you all next week for show number 41. All right. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>